I'm Daniel Levine, and this is the Bio Report. It's long been understood that chromosomal instability is a characteristic of cancer cells, but it also represents a key difference between cancer cells and healthy cells that can be exploited. Velastra is developing medicines for a wide range of difficult-to-treat cancers that target the vulnerabilities of these cells. We spoke to Charles U. Jones, CEO of Velastra, about chromosomal instability in cancer cells how the company is developing a pipeline of therapies to exploit this, and its expanding relationship with big pharma companies. Charles, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Danny. We're going to talk about chromosomal instability, metastatic cancers, and Velastra's efforts to develop therapies that target cancers that have spread Let's start with the problem. It's generally known that success rates in treating cancers are much greater when they're treated in their earliest stages. How good are we today at treating metastatic cancers and what makes them so difficult to treat? Yeah, so cancer rates have dropped significantly since they peaked in the early 1990s, and that's mainly due to reduction in smoking, partly due to early detection and treatment of some cancers. But we've still got a significant need. There are over 600,000 deaths uh, from cancer each year in the US alone, and most of those are metastatic. Now, with few exceptions, treatment of metastatic cancer is not a cure, but we aim to slow the growth, extend survival and improve symptoms, all of which can be highly meaningful. The difficulty in treating it is a function of a highly complex genetic and epigenetic series of characteristics of metastatic tumors, and that makes them very resistant to many standard treatments. So we certainly need more effective treatments. And what we're doing at Velastra is targeting chromosomal instability, which we see as an opportunity given its role as a driver of cancer. That's a a concept many listeners may not be familiar with. What is chromosomal instability? Sure. Um, Well, it's absolutely our focus here at Velastra, and it's defined by ongoing errors of chromosomal segregation or separation during cell division or mitosis. And it results in either whole chromosomes or little bits of chromosomes being duplicated or deleted. So you get two things. You get a different number and you get different structures of chromosomes. And that results in lots of effects such as the loss or amplification of of driver genes, and they can then contribute to cancer progression. And whilst it's very prevalent, chromosomal instability is very prevalent across many tumor types, we haven't up until now seen drug targets that have been identified that can really capitalize that on a a vulnerability. Um, And generally, whilst that instability is helpful, 
to tumors survival at genetic diversity, it can also be a vulnerability that we think we can target. This is a feature of a, a high percentage of tumors. What causes chromosomal instability and how well understood is the biology underlying it? Yeah, well, it's certainly a high percentage. Um, we see chromosomal instability in about 60 to 80% of tumors, and it varies across different tumor types. You see some like ovarian cancer, where it's almost all tumors are chromosomally unstable, and then others that are largely unstable, but not always quite as much. Um, the biology is becoming much more understood, particularly through the work of our founders at Velastra and Velastra scientists who are really working full time on this in terms of elucidating uh, the mechanisms to target. But generally, the chromosomal instability can be the result of any number of causes of DNA damage that occur over the lifetime of the patient. And they're pretty diverse. They include things like mitotic errors, replication stress, homologous recombination deficiency, telomere crisis. But whatever the cause, they result in a whole number of negative consequences that arise. Well, what are those negative consequences? Yeah, sure. Um, well, you have this genomic complexity, and that allows them to really do two things. It allows them to evade intrinsic and extrinsic, extrinsic defense mechanisms against cancer. So it's really, it's four things. It's evading the immune system. That's sort of hiding from the body's immune surveillance against cancer cells. Uh, Secondly, it's resistance to any number of conventional treatments, and that's there are a whole variety of different mechanisms. Uh, thirdly, you get this predisposition towards a more metastatic state, and that's through a lot of the downstream signaling pathways, uh, downstream of chromosomal instability, such as CGAS sting. And then you sort of wrap down all those three things together, and you get worse overall survival. And that's something that we think we can improve by actually looking at the instability as an Achilles heel uh, for these cancer cells. And that's why we're excited to be developing these SIN-specific uh, targeted therapies. How novel uh, approach does this represent? And how did Velastra come about taking this focus? Yeah, well, uh, firstly, SIN has been known for well over a century. Um, in terms of a concept that there are abnormal numbers of chromosomes. And we really asked ourselves at Lastra, is chromosome instability the cause of cancer or is it a consequence of cancer? And really, a lot of the work by our founders, Lou Cantley, Sam Baku, and Olivier Elemento, demonstrated there is a vulnerability that we can targeted. And we've just started clinical trials. In fact, we're, we're really excited by where we're going. But it's probably worth highlighting that we're using two main approaches. One is synthetic lethality, and that's really been our main area of focus, particularly with our clinical programs, but also downstream immunological approaches, as I said, targeting some of this CGAS sting pathway and other, other downstream consequences of sin. You're not alone in pursuing synthetic lethality, but before we talk about your pipeline, can you explain what that concept is? Sure, sure. Uh, synthetic lethality, it's a phenomenon, again, that goes back a long way. It was described by two geneticists, uh, one Calvin Bridges and the other Theodosius Dobzinski, back right in the beginning of the early 20th century. And it occurs when the inhibition or mutation 
or loss of uh, two genes or two gene products is lethal when the inhibition of a single gene or gene product is not. So that can then be harnessed to selectively treat cancers by identifying an inactive gene in a given cancer and then targeting its synthetic lethal partner. And we do that in a number of ways at Velastra. We do it through computation, we do it through biological screening, dependency mapping, and it's really been a major focus of our of our research, particularly with our KIF 18 inhibitors that we've got in clinical development. Well, let, let's talk about that. You've got two experimental therapies in clinical development. They both target KIF-18A. What is KIF-18A and, and how does inhibiting it aid in the fight against cancer? So the goal for our treatments is naturally to target cells that are cancerous and not target normal cells. Um, KIF-18A is a mechanism that needs to be used by cancer cells uh, and not by normal cells. And that makes it a highly attractive target. So let me outline how that, that works. Um, KIF-18A is one of a member of the kinesin family. Now, these are little tiny molecular motors that migrate or walk uh, along spindles during cell division. Um, part of KIF-18A's function, one of its functions, is to help cells go through cell division by helping to align chromosomes in the correct position in the middle line of a cell just before division takes place. And technically, it really helps fine tune the, the spindle tension um, and perfectly positions the chromosome where it needs to be. And that sends out a signal of success that allows progression through cell division into daughter cells. Now, normal cells can divide perfectly well without KIF-18A. In fact, you can look at mice that can tolerate it when it's a fully knocked out state. But chromosomally unstable cells appear to really need that KIF-18A to successfully divide in what is for them a, a stressful cell division um, due to their genetic errors. So our KIF-18A inhibitor, it traps these chromosomally unstable cells in mitosis and it prevents them from proliferating and ultimately leads to cell death. And we hope with minimal effects on normal healthy cells. And we've got these two uh, different clinical stage KIF-18A inhibitors uh, that we have so far found to be well tolerated and show tumor regression in, in various models. Are there any KIF-18A approved therapies today or in development or are you unique in pursuing this? We are the first in class and we hope we're the best in class. We've got these two inhibitors. One is Sevilsinib, which was in license from Amgen in early 2023. And the second is our internally developed uh, compound, VLS 1488, uh, that we've just started, had first patient in in the phase one trial uh, a couple of months ago. Well, let's start with Sevilsinib. What is it and how does it work? Yeah, so... As I said, it's one of our two KIF-18A inhibitors. We, we licensed it as, as a phase one asset from Amgen. And honestly, we were really excited by what we saw in terms of early clinical data and its profile. And this really validated our hypothesis of explained about KIF-18A as an effective target. And indeed, we spoke with a bunch of investigators who were involved in the early phase one trial, and they shared our substantial enthusiasm. So 
we're going to restart the phase 1b study for Zavilsnib in Q1 of 2024. And as I say, we've got this other KIF-89 inhibitor, VLS 1488, that's just started first patient in in the phase 1 at the end of October. And why license the Amgen program if you already had a KIF-18A in development? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we're super excited by KIF-18A as a target based, as I said, on our in-house preclinical data and the clinical data that we saw with the Amgen compound. Now, Savilsanib, which is the Amgen compound, and VLS-1488, our in-house Velastra uh, KIF-18A inhibitor, are differentiated programs. And we really think that by advancing both of them, it's going to help us understand more about their individual profiles. Now, they both hit the same target on the kinesin, on this molecular motor, but they've got very different chemical scaffolds, and that gives each one of them different properties across a range of different parameters. And it's going to be really interesting to see how they emerge from our phase one programs. But overall, we're really excited by KIF-18A as a target. We'll see if one or indeed potentially both have properties that make them effective therapies um, for many tumor types with high levels of chromosomal instability. And have you identified a lead program at this point? Uh, we are, as I said, currently in phase one for both assets. So we haven't really finally decided on the lead indication, but we're looking at a range of tumors. We know that KIF-18A is highly expressed in most malignant tumors. Those that have the highest levels of instability are ovarian, we see it in certain types of lung cancer, breast, certain GI tumors. So the hope is that, first of all, we'll get a lead indication, but really given the high level of instability across most tumors, we hope that we can help patients across many different types of cancer in the long term. Given there are so many cancers that may be implicated in, in KIF-18A, what are you doing to prioritize indications you'll pursue? Right. Well, um, part of the work at Velastra has not been just developing the therapies. We're also working on multiple uh, in-house and partner techniques that we can use uh, collectively to identify patients who are going to be most likely to benefit. Um, and we're really taking two approaches. Um, one is looking at visual features of chromosomal instability, and the other is genomic approaches. Uh, on the visual side, we've got this really interesting collaboration with Microsoft. It's a, a completely novel area of science. And we're using their artificial intelligence techniques to assess uh, routine H&E tumor samples. And we're looking specifically for features of chromosomal instability, and that can be anything from anaphase bridges to lagging chromosomes to micronuclei. And what's been extraordinary, Danny, is that we can now do this using this AI artificial intelligence technique. We can do it at high speed. We can do it with remarkable fidelity, and we can do it with low cost. Um, using what are essentially relatively straightforward and commonly available pathology samples. Uh, the second approach we're taking is genomic approaches. Um, now, we haven't disclosed so much yet about the partnerships, 
Um, but we're specifically looking at genomic signatures of chromosomal instability that will allow us to develop additional biomarkers. And there's been a bunch of really interesting recent work that has allowed for the quantitative measurement of different types of chromosomal instability across a range of different cancer types. And that uses techniques related to concepts such as fraction genome altered and copy number heterogeneity. And we really think that this may allow us to subdivide different types of chromosomal instability according to genomic patterns and indeed visual features with Microsoft and allow that to really understand those underlying course, uh, causes and then allow to segment further treatments to specific uh, patient types. We're going to incorporate those visual and genomic approaches into our development programs over the coming months. Is the expectation that this would be a, a monotherapy or would it be used in combination with other agents? Uh, we would certainly expect to see single agent activity with KIF-8 inhibitors, but we are also excited for the potential that you can use these agents with other treatments. And we're exploring a number of different potential combinations preclinically, and then we'll obviously test the best option in the clinic once we've demonstrated monotherapy activity. When the company announced the the licensing agreement with Amgen, it, it didn't release precise terms of the agreement, but it was a mix of cash and equity. Amgen's not the only biopharma with equity in Velastra. Eli Lilly co-led your 60 million Series A financing, and you've got a drug discovery collaboration with Bristol-Myers Squibb. This is a deal that involved a, a $30 million upfront payment and up to $1.1 billion in milestones. What is having these relationships with significant biopharmaceutical partners do for Velastra. How are you leveraging those relationships? Yeah. Um, well, certainly we are really pleased to have such great partners. They bring huge insight into our work. Um, it's also really nice to have their recognition as to the incredible work that's being done at Velastra. Now, um, with Lilly, there has been significant investment into our Series A, as you mentioned, and board involvement, and they've just been a, a terrific partner uh, as we move our various programs forward. Um, Amgen decided to license their kif 8 inhibitor to us, um, and they, as you've said, continue to remain invested in our success. Um, we also have a discovery partnership with Bristol-Myers Squibb. And here we're exploring several synthetic lethal targets associated with chromosomal instability. And then finally, we've got this uh, artificial intelligence partnership with Microsoft where we're exploring the potential of visual features of SIM to, explore, uh, to serve as an exploratory biomarker. And I think to your question, Danny, what does it bring for us? Um, well, first of all, it does bring investment to expedite our programs, and that's both for our synthetic lethal uh, program as well as our uh, downstream immunity program. And it really helps us in elucidating the biology and identification of patients who are going to benefit the most. But I think even more importantly, these partnerships have provided us with access to expertise and technologies that can really support our mission. And as such, these partnerships have, have been critical. Charles U. Jones, CEO of Alastra. Charles, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you very much, Danny.
Thanks for listening. The Bio Report is a production of the Levine Media Group. To automatically download this podcast each week, subscribe to our RSS feed or through iTunes or other podcast manager. To join our mailing list, go to levinemediagroup.com. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to drop us a line or are interested in sponsoring this podcast, send email to danny at levinemediagroup.com. Special thanks to Jonah Levine, who composed our theme music, and the Jonah Levine Collective, which performs it.